0: Wow. Well, let's just uh, take a deep breath after all of that. Big exhale, big inhale. Thank Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. that you're no respecter of persons. Thank you for using your people, young and old, God. Such a privilege. We thank you for this time to get to come together and worship you and that you're here. And I thank you that your kingdom is here It's now, it's right here in our midst. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will come and reveal to us the reality of God that's in this room, the reality of the kingdom of God that is inside of us and all around us, that you'd open the eyes of our heart, God, to see, to hear, to know what's beyond knowing. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you just continue just, he's touching people, just continue to rest on people. Lord, we thank you that we're just getting started tonight. Just continue your work of ministry in this room, Spirit of God, Spirit of holiness, the Spirit of truth who brings the words of Jesus and makes them known to the church. We thank you for your blessed activity in our midst. Holy Spirit of heaven, you are welcome here. And just maybe just pray with me if you believe that. Just tell him you're welcome here. You're welcome in my heart you're welcome to speak to me you're welcome to reveal jesus to me you're welcome to reveal the truth of scripture to me you're, you're welcome to have your way to to touch my mouth with a coal from the altar you're welcome in your ministry here holy spirit you're welcome to touch me just tell them you're welcome to to rest upon me in a way that maybe makes me uncomfortable you're, you're welcome, Holy Spirit, to come and, and manifest however you want to manifest in this room right now. God, just increase your presence here, Holy Spirit. Increase your manifest presence here. Holy Spirit, that we would become more and more and more aware of the reality that we're singing, that there's a king that's here in this room. Jesus, we thank you that you are here in this place. Father God, that you are here, that we are immersed in a Trinitarian reality that is a perfect union of love that you have drawn us into by your blood shed on a cross. We thank you, God, for the benefit that we have as your people what was declared god by the youth in our midst that we are who you say you are that we are the beloved of god that we are seated in the height of all affection in the in the very the very epicenter of reality the love between a father and a son and the holy spirit that we are bound there in endless love god we thank you we just say have your way god have your way god Do whatever you want to do tonight, God. Speak whatever you want to speak. Just have us. Just have me, God. Amen. The kingdom's here, (laughs) the king is here. We're not just playing church. We're all discerning the presence of the only one found worthy, even now, searching for your voice, Jesus. We're searching for the sermon that's flowing from your heart. (laughs) He's a silent one. But that silence speaks. He's whispering. More than the oxygen in this room, he's filling this place. Give us ears, God. Give us the patience. I love. He says we're ready now, so here we go, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy Jesus rebuked the religious leaders multiple times throughout his ministry and told them, you need to go and study what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he's referencing Hosea 6.6, which is when God is pleading from a wounded heart to his people. And he's saying, Your your spirituality, your religiosity is like the morning dew on the grass. It's there for a moment. And then it vanishes in the morning sun. And he's speaking to a spirituality without substance. He says, You Pharisees, you tithe mint and cumin and you do the the small things, and you mince your words over the, the small idiosyncrasies of the Levitical law, but you neglect the weightier things, mercy. And another time, it's when he's dining with a group of people, sinners, the unclean, And they get upset with him and start saying that Jesus is a drunkard and immoral because he's hanging out with broken people. And it's both those references when he says, you need to study what it means. I'm a physician. I came to the sick, not the healthy. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So this mercy is so important to Jesus. And it grieves him when he doesn't see it in the heart of his bride. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. Sacrifice was the form of worship in those days. And he's saying your sacrifice is like dew on the grass. It doesn't have substance. It dissipates. It's a thin veneer that looks good on the outside, but there's no substance. There's no weight behind it. And he's, he's rebuking the religious leaders. He's saying, I don't really care much for your religious games. I don't care for your pretense and your show. I care about people. I care about hurting broken people, receiving love and mercy, forgiveness redemption go and study what this means i desire mercy not vain religiosity this is what james is picking up on when he says true religion is to take care of the orphan and the widow love looks like something mercy looks like something and when jesus is speaking the beatitudes just to reintroduce these to us He's introducing us to the kingdom of God. He's saying this is what reality is like. The Beatitudes are Jesus saying, it's God as a human using our language to introduce us to what the kingdom of God is. He's saying this is what it's like. This is reality. The thing I, I love about Jesus as a teacher is that he's, he's not just forcing something down our throat and saying this is what you need to do. He's not commanding us to be merciful. He's simply saying, this is the way of life. This is the way of God. This is the way that the creator of the cosmos, this is what he's like, mercy. I shared briefly in the message on hunger and thirst that the Beatitudes are split into two quartets. The first quartet is thematically from emptiness to being filled. You're poor, you receive the kingdom. You're mourning, you receive comfort. You're meek, you, re- you receive inheritance. You hunger and thirst, you receive righteousness. The second quartet starts with that receiving of righteousness and thematically goes from a state of positive to positive or a state of being filled to abounding. So, the merciful receive mercy. The pure in heart receive revelation and see God. The peacemakers receive royal identity as sons or daughters of God. And then those persecuted for that righteousness receive a great reward in heaven, according to Jesus. He only uses the word great a few times. So, the. The first quartet's empty to being filled, the second quartet is actually Jesus starting to describe what the life of kingdom righteousness looks like. And I love that he doesn't describe kingdom righteousness statically, like you're righteous when you're pure, which means you don't look at bad things or say bad things, doesn't do it that way. He defines righteousness actively through the ecosystem that you create in your life. You create an ecosystem of ever-increasing mercy. You create an ecosystem of purity and revelation. You create an ecosystem of peace and identity. You create an ecosystem of holy confrontation, transformation, and reward. Righteousness is active. But I find it fascinating that the first statement of reality that Jesus makes about kingdom righteousness is mercy. You get filled with righteousness and you become mercy full. And you can't be full of mercy unless you've been touched by mercy, kissed by mercy. I think of Philippians 3 as a statement, a depiction of a man who has been touched with mercy. And he it's the apostle Paul, he's describing all the things that he did to contrive righteousness in his own strength. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's he, he had the sacrifice thing down. He tithe meant. He exacted his way into Levitical Purity. And then he starts in verse seven of Philippians 3 and says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but filthy rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own, say of my own, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead, a righteousness of my own versus a righteousness that comes from God through faith as a gift. Mercy. Paul was a man that knew mercy. Paul was so touched by mercy, he became righteous because of the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. Mercy isn't just being forgiven. It's getting way, way, way more than we could ever deserve. It's getting a righteousness of God. And when you're poor and hungry and mourning and meek and you get filled by righteousness, you at this, you will be merciful. Right? You, you will be one who has been touched by mercy because that righteousness doesn't come by your striving or your strength or your perfection or whatever it is. It's not a righteousness of your own. Right? It is a righteousness that comes because of mercy. But I find this interesting because oftentimes when we associate the word righteousness, we think of justice, not mercy. And Jesus is here, statement of reality. This is kingdom righteousness. This is what it means to be righteous as a human being following God and living in a relationship. You're merciful. And this is the amazing thing about mercy. Though we can receive mercy, it doesn't make us merciful. Matthew 18 is this story where there's a debtor who owes for all intents and purposes a whole lot of money. And the master, as he pleads for mercy, the master gives it to him, wipes out his debt. And then the first thing he does is he goes and finds another person that owed him 20 bucks and stranglehold him until he paid him back. And the whole, the whole statement Jesus is making, he's saying, beware that you who receive mercy don't go all the way to becoming Merciful. And the statement that Jesus is making in this Matthew 18 parable is that it's possible to be forgiven without becoming forgiving. And I think that the day you become forgiving is actually a better day than when you become forgiven. Because you start stepping into reality. Blessed are the merciful. This whole ecosystem of the kingdom, it's, it, it operates in mercy because it has nothing to do with us. We have responsibilities to partner with God's grace and mercy, but the initiation has nothing to do with us. We have nothing. Without him, we can do nothing, ever. End of story. We're done. We're dead in our sins. We could never please him. We could never get to heaven. We could never be a good person. We could never live up to the standard of what we were created to be, because we are image bearers of God, and we lost it. We completely lost it. Lost it so bad it was beyond description, without recovery, so deep in sin, so indoctrinated in the ways of the world. We were lost, all of us, lost, hopeless, in mercy, mercy. But isn't it unfortunate that we can receive mercy without becoming merciful? Mercy has to get its way all the way through us, has to get in us, but then it has to get through us. And Jesus isn't just saying, blessed are those who receive mercy, saying blessed are the merciful. And you know something is full by the state that something actually overflows. So Jesus desires mercy, not sacrifice. Reality, this beatitude is that blessed, happy is He You live with a deep-rooted confidence that God approves of your life. If your life abounds with mercy, you're one who is merciful. All right, we're merciful. So we can be forgiven without forgiving. We can have received mercy without being merciful. And it's unfortunate that so much of the church today professing Christians are those who profess beyond all men, all women on the earth, to say I have received mercy. I have received forgiveness and yet our reputation globally speaking is that we're the people who will make you feel judged. Somehow we've drifted into the wrong side of that Matthew 18 parable. That we're the forgiven ones who haven't become forgiving. We're the ones that have been favored with a mercy that we could never earn. But that's not the message that's getting its way through us. Sinners loved hanging out with Jesus and they knew he was righteous. They knew he was a rabbi. They knew he would have lived according to Levitical purity and righteousness, and yet sinners loved hanging with him. Doesn't that just bother you sometimes? Like, why doesn't sinners like hanging with me? But they loved Jesus, and they all knew who he was. Jesus' reputation for being merciful was so like widespread, that the Pharisees actually tested him on it. When they bring the woman caught in the act of adultery, they literally say, we know Jesus is merciful, so we're going to bring him a sinner caught in the act that the law clearly states receives punishment. And we're going to challenge his mercy to show that he does not uphold the holy, righteous standard of God. And so it's first thing in the morning, in the courts of the temple, and they bring a woman caught in the act of adultery, so the context would be she is literally in her shame. And they throw her at his feet. And he draws a picture in the sand, and as only Jesus can, he disarms all the judgment. You who without sin throw the first stone. And it's just unfathomable that the only person there without sin was the only one that didn't have a stone. Blessed are the merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. i share this story because this story is in some ways a riddle to me, and I think it's a riddle to most of us Western Christians because we live in a right-wrong, black-white, justice culture. And I actually love that there's a social conscience for justice that's spreading our land. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily being lived out, but there is an appetite even in secular, cult- uh, secular culture for, for justice, social justice. the the rights, right things to happen to the right people and, and, and the just things to happen to the people in the wrong. And if we really meditate on this story for too long, we'll find that it's a bit of a riddle because it leaves you asking, what about justice? Like, what about that woman's husband? What about the mess of that sin? What about all the things, right? We can go into all the, the hypotheticals. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's a little bit of an ache that says, well, where's the justice work itself out? How do mercy and justice co-mingle in the heart of Jesus? But if we're honest in our own life, in our own culture that's full of unrighteousness, that's full of wicked things that happen all the time, that's full of people with all types of beliefs and things that we would say oppose righteousness. How do truth and justice mix? And I'm not going to have an answer to that for you But I do want to draw you into the mystery of that, because I think that this lies at the heart of understanding this blessed or the merciful beatitude. And I think that one of the most important things that takes place inside a Christian's heart, and it's also something that's extremely difficult to put words to, is that one point in the journey, in this beautiful journey of walking and trying to mature and become like Jesus. There's a shift that takes place and we go from identifying our life in an either or dichotomy to somehow, almost supernaturally, there birds something within us that has the capacity to know both and. It's like the heart has dimensions that only get explored in time. And before we we can get to this dimension of both the heart of God and the heart of our of our own heart, because to know the heart of God is to know the heart. To, to explore the heart of God is to explore your heart and the heart of humanity. He he is the heart. He reveals the heart. But God is more than just a dichotomy between mercy and justice, right? We 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 sometimes want it scientific. We want it black and white. We want is it is it mercy or is it justice? Is it right or is it wrong? And it's God's just bigger than that, right? We're not we're not wanting to know statutes. We're not wanting to know the 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 code of how to navigate certain situations what what god's actually trying to draw us into is his heart He's trying to, it's, it's as if sometimes we think God is two-dimensional. It's like his heart's this flat thing, and there's a just part of his heart, and there's a merciful part of his heart, but it's, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's a dimension. It's a capacity. It's like a third dimension. It's like when you start to see it's not black and white, but it's color. And, and what we see in Jesus is that God's heart is absolutely just. He is righteous and holy and pure and perfect and he hates sin and it breaks his heart but he is merciful. He he is so full of mercy that Jesus himself, the most righteous person who ever walked the earth, had a reputation of mercy. And that's the heart that's trying to woo us, like this is the reality. That he's trying to make known. Blessed are the merciful, for you shall receive mercy. There's something about when we start growing in this reality of mercy, we actually start entering into the heart of mercy that is the heart of God. And we start to see what used to be black and white. We start to see with dimension and color. And we're no longer think it's quite so simple sometimes because we don't have simple answers. We just have a deep, deep connection to the heart of God and to the heart of Jesus right there's only some things that you'll know if you have a deeper knowing which is him how do I relate with somebody that thinks different than me about gender and sexuality how do I relate with someone that has a political view that is different than mine and I think is downright wrong and unrighteous How do I relate with someone that has different religious views, socioeconomic views, whatever it is? How do I relate with those people? You won't know how to do that until you know him. You won't know how to live both righteous and and above reproach and holy, but also where mercy just flows from you. Sinners won't be around wanna be around the church until the church becomes like her Christ who is merciful. There's this story we've all heard, it's it's an amazing story of the Good Samaritan. The context Jesus having a conversation with again the religious leaders. And a lawyer asks him and says, Hey, you know, what's the, the greatest commandment? Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer is seeking to justify himself. So think righteousness of his own. And he asks a question, trying to justify himself. He says, And who's my neighbor? Jesus is like, I got you. (laughs) He says, let me tell you a story. There's a man that's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, so we would know he's a Jew. And at first a priest walks by the road, and and he gets mugged and left for dead, and he's on the side of the road. And then a priest comes walking by, sees him, walks to the other side of the road, and keeps going. And then a Levite comes on the road, sees him, and walks the other side of the road and keeps going. And then a Samaritan comes and the Samaritan sees him, but it's a different sight, it's a different vision. He doesn't see a mess, he sees into the heart, he sees a person. The Samaritan sees like Jehovah Ra, the Lord Roy, the Lord who sees, sees. He, the Samaritan sees this Jewish man the same way that God saw Israel in their bondage and it said that he saw and he heard their cries. This Samaritan sees this Jewish man, mercy sees. And then it says that he was, he, he felt compassion, right? Mercy feels, mercy has an internal response to pain and suffering and need and brokenness. It, it sees and then it feels, right? But this is the radical thing, especially for a lot of the Western churches, it's, that's not enough. He didn't just see and feel and cry and then keep going, he, he acted. Mercy acts. Mercy becomes a redemptive agent in, in the broken story of another person. Mercy acted in a way that inconvenienced himself. It cost him his time, it cost him his money, it, it cost him his whole day. And he nursed him up, put wine on his wounds and took him to the inn and gave him enough and he took care. And, and this is the kicker of the whole story is that for a samaritan to see a jewish man and to do that jesus was making the samaritan the fulfillment of matthew 5:44 that we would love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us the samaritan was considered a half breed wrong religious they were judged and condemned that they had a you know a half quasi new age spirituality There was strife. There was all types of racial, religious, political strife. They were enemies, and the the Samaritan loved his enemy because mercy loves its enemies. This is God. This is reality. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is what mercy looks like. So Jesus tells this story. Here's what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. Because God is love, and it's like First John says: Don't don't kid yourselves. If you don't love your brothers who you have seen, don't think that you love God who you can't see. It's impossible. If your mercy's not showing up here, then you'd haven't known mercy. If you if if you if if, if you haven't become merciful, if if you don't see and feel and act. Even if it's someone who's against you, even if it's an enemy, you you don't know mercy yet. You don't know the heart of the God who bled on the cross and said, please forgive them. And who is the opposite to mercy in this story? This is where it gets really uncomfortable. It's the pastor and the worship leader. (laughs) It's the church attending Christian. It's the tithe playing member of the church who volunteers three times a week. The priest and the Levite are the same people that were getting rebuked earlier for not knowing what mercy's like. They'd, they'd love sacrifice and not mercy. It's the same sentiment. Jesus is saying, I don't want religious games. I don't want superficial spirituality. True religion sees the hurting and it responds, it acts. That's what I'm like. Blessed are the merciful. They receive mercy, forgiveness, even for the people that hurt you. Even for the people that are your enemies. We can have enemies on ideological lines, political lines, racial lines, spiritual lines. Uh, It it, it doesn't doesn't matter. We find ways as humans in our brokenness to find enemies. And there will be people that hurt you. On family lines. Shoot. And blessed are the merciful. Merciful. I think mercy grows in our life. There's dimensions to mercy. And I think the starting point of our relationship with God's mercy is when we receive forgiveness ourselves. It's personal. He cleanses us. He washes away our sin, our guilt, the terrible things that we did, have done, have continued to do, perhaps. Mercy starts heart-to-heart and face-to-face with a God who loves you. And there's mercy in this room tonight for some of you. And I want to encourage you right now that if you feel guilt or condemnation swelling inside of you, do not turn your face from Him. Just look at Him. We have complex ways of avoiding the discomfort inside of us that we feel over the mistakes in our lives. We still try to sew animal skins and cover ourselves and hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve. But when God came walking in the garden, even after they sinned, he was saying, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Where is my son? And we read that story so harsh sometimes, like God smited them. No, he made them clothes. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, daughter? Just, just look at him. He will not judge you. He came and shed his blood to try to to woo you because we're so afraid of judgment because I think it's the scariest thing that a human will ever experience is to be judged. And that's why he had to go to the extremity to show, I swear I won't judge you. Just look at me hanging on a cross. It's where I went just to try to build trust that you could open this broken part of you to let me gaze upon it and cleanse you. It's mercy. He has no stone for you. He has love. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you could never earn. It's the first dimension of mercy, and then it grows. And that's when we begin to become merciful. And we start to extend mercy to the people that have wronged us. There's some of you in this room, you're harboring deep judgment, bitterness towards people in your life. I I hurt on the inside over the amount of people who will confess to live and harbor with deep church hurt for years, if not decades, of their life. And I have utmost tenderness when I say this, but you do not have to live with the bondage of the hurts of your past. The wounds of our past stole enough from us. We cannot let them steal from our future and from our present. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and harboring our hearts off and protecting ourselves. It feels powerful, but it's not the way. We have to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute, open up the parts of our heart and say, okay, God, teach me how to incarnate the forgiveness and mercy I've received and let it start to come out of me. Yeah. And that doesn't happen quickly, but that, t- that happens in the prayer closet. You pray for someone until you start to love them. Amen. And that's the heart of Jesus. You love your enemies. Truly, not just not just through religious right in the heart. Loving your enemies does not mean being friends with them. There are boundaries. It doesn't that's not that's not what it means. It means that in your heart you deeply desire that they would be blessed. And not blessed with fire and brimstone. Not not blessed with humbling experiences, you know, (laughs) blessed. Blessed like you would love to see your your son or your daughter blessed. That's when you know you're free. And then the last dimension of God's mercy is when you begin to abound with mercy to such a degree that it will spill over into the social sphere of a city. That you literally will have eyes to see and a heart that feels and acts towards other people that perhaps are strangers to you like the samaritan man that you will see strangers you will see those who have been refugees you will see those who are poor and broken you'll see those who are in deep need you'll see you'll see them and you'll love them you'll have mercy for them and you, you will feel compassion, and you will act, and you'll become a redemptive agent in their story. And maybe you don't even know the story, but it's like you, you, you'll start to have a heart capacity that overflows into other people's lives, and you'll be a change agent. There's dimensions of mercy, and all of that flows from the very heart of God itself. His heart is mercy. He is just, he is right, he is holy. And yet the first distinction that Jesus gives us in his beatitude introduction into the way of God is that kingdom righteousness is merciful. Wow. It is only a heart that is broken and contrite before God that can house both justice and mercy that has the capacity to let God be God on the inside, to let the paradox and the mystery of who he is simultaneously take root with inside of, on the inside. And God wants to change. He wants to change that when you see people with gender identification or sexual preferences that you do not agree with, that you would have such love, mercy. He he wants it that when you see the face of Joe Biden or Donald Trump, mercy. Somehow we've missed these statements that it's not eye for an eye anymore. It's turn the other cheek. Yeah, and what if that's the prophetic act that the world's waiting for? Ooh, come on. For the church to drop her stones. Yeah. And to become vulnerable. We think that our superficial feeling of power is going to garner the influence to turn a nation back to God. It's not. It's gonna be mercy, it's gonna be a vulnerable, dependent, loving bride that just loves like Jesus. That's who Jesus is gonna show up through, you know? Mercy, 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 mercy will win the day. Forgiveness is the most powerful force it changes hearts, it changes families, it changes cities, it changes the story of nations. Look at South Africa, it's forgiveness, it's mercy. It's mercy church. And mercy's here tonight. We're talking about reality when we're talking about this, we're just articulating this is this is reality, this is the kingdom, this is who God is, this is what Jesus is like. He's merciful, right? and Don't don't feel guilt when you hear this of mercy and you're like, I can't do all that. This isn't a command. This is Jesus articulating an invitation to envision what your life will look like when the Holy Spirit is really getting his way in you. You become merciful. And so I want to invite uh, you to just uh, into a space, we're gonna create space for the Holy Spirit to get his way in us tonight. The Holy Spirit takes what God is doing, what Jesus is speaking in heaven, he makes it known to us, he He bestows grace. And tonight I just wanna create space um, for for you to engage with the mercy of God. And I think that there's people here tonight that you need forgiveness, Uh, there's guilt, shame, whatever it is that you've carried in. And God wants to meet you in a personal way and he wants to bring forgiveness to you. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna expose you, but I feel uh, an impression from the spirit that he gave me early in the afternoon is that um, there's, some, there, there's one or maybe multiple women that you've carried a lot of guilt and shame over uh, an abortion uh, in your past. And His mercy is gonna touch you tonight and heal something very deep. I don't, you don't need to expose yourself. Uh, and the, the second group is that there's people in here that you've been harboring judgment uh, or bitterness or something towards someone that would be an enemy in your life. And uh, there's healing tonight, uh, there's, there's just healing as you come in and commingle with God's mercy and actually extend mercy and then thirdly I just feel uh, for some that there's just a greater dimension of God's heart that he wants to make available so that you will become truly merciful in such a way that the mercy and the love of your heart will spill into the social sphere of our city. And I I just had this image earlier as I was praying that this space is an altar of repentance tonight. And that you can come to the altar and allow God's mercy to meet you. There's no judgment tonight. Nobody's in trouble and there's no punishment. It's just mercy. Shifa, do you want to just come play keys? Yes, if you want to come forward, I just welcome you to come. And we're just going to pray and allow the Holy Spirit to get his way in us tonight. So I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are dispensing the mercy of God into this very place right now. That these aren't just words, this is reality. And you are making the reality of heaven's mercy available Don't be afraid to respond. It's the poor that receive the kingdom. Just acknowledge your need and he'll meet your need. Mercy, God. Mercy, God. Mercy. Mercy. Just look on his face. Let him meet you. right down on your level, just like he met that woman in the dirt. If you need forgiveness, just don't hide it from him anymore. Just let him see what he's already seen. But it's different when you show him. Let him just wash it all away. Wash the guilt all away. Wash the shame, the trauma. He knows you were deceived. That's why you did it in the first place. Let him hold you. Let him love you. Let him comfort you. If you need to forgive tonight, if you need to extend mercy to someone who has wronged you, spoken evil of you, judged you, insulted you, rejected you, been selfish, and caused you all kinds of pain because of that. Just forgive them tonight. And begin to bless them tonight. them just lift them before the throne of grace and just pray that the Jesus prayer from the cross that God you'd forgive they didn't know your power back from the wounds that tried to control you. You are a child of God. And there is nothing that anybody does to you that has the power to change who you are and how you will respond. You are an imitator of God. You are one who loves like he loves, blesses like he blesses. Just extend mercy. Let the Holy Spirit search your heart. If there's there's anybody in your life that has hurt you that you haven't been able to bless yet, There's some that it's just an invitation that if you want to know mercy, to just come and let Him wreck you with mercy. It's like His heart's just so abounding. It's like He's looking for hearts that He can share His burdens with. It's like for those of you that want to know, his heart in such a way that it would it would possess you it would overcome you mercy would just flow like a river f- from within you just ask him just ask him for that just just ask him God I, I want to know your heart I want to know mercy I, w- I want to know your heart God your f- awesome awesome heart god you're fearsome and awesome and wonderful and just and righteous and merciful heart i see it's like some of you have been holding on to this this either or i feel like it's almost it's not that that's wrong but it's incomplete it's kind of like when you when you when you finish the school year, you know, you have to go hand in your key to your locker and all the different things because you're you're going you're you're going to the next year, going to high school the next year, whatever it is. I just feel like for some of us it's like there's a transition between between childhood and and, and on to maturity. And it's like I'm giving you God the keys. I'm giving you the Giving you the either or. I'm giving you the how I've been searching for the the silver bullet of the easy answer. And I'm willing to embrace mystery. If it means knowing you, I'm willing to have to submit and, and confess that I don't know sometimes what's right and what's wrong. I don't know. But it's like a a graduating tonight for some of you. It's like God is upgrading some of your relationship with who he is. It's like you're leaving behind the shallow places and you're kind of going deeper tonight. And to go into the deep waters means you lose control. It's like the prophet who was up to his ankles and was up to his knees but to fully get into that river it was a river that couldn't be crossed I just think there's a letting go tonight a letting go and to just say God I'm just going to get into the river of your heart and I'll let you shape me and I'll trust you to lead me into the truth. Thank you for healing in this place, God. Thank you that you're moving and you're ministering in this place, God. I'll just bless what you're doing. I don't know if you're ministering already, but if you want to lay hands on anybody that's responded, uh, we're just going to, we're going to keep ministering. If you want to get your kids and bring them in, you can do that. Probably in trouble for ministering too long. And if you, uh, if you're ready to go, you can go, but just, let's just be respectful of what the Lord's doing those that are responding so I just bless you church to to walk in the mercy of God and become the mercy of God to our city bless you as you go I thank you God for these healing tears that are flowing just honor the ministry of Holy Spirit right now. Just minister what you're doing in the deep reaches of hearts right now. We know that you delight in giving mercy, God, so just as only you can reach into all the depths of us, God, and make us new.